0: It's not always easy to find the positive. You might even need to search for happiness. Sometimes, just a little inspiration can make the difference. Here, it comes from unexpected places. Welcome to the Tangential Inspiration
1: Podcast. I'm Teresa. And I'm Colleen. We're two ordinary moms looking for inspiration wherever we can find it. Welcome to Tangential Inspiration Podcast. We're on episode 129. Excellent. Um, And I'm going to talk a little bit about this adorable six-year-old out of missouri that made a ton of easter baskets for underprivileged kids in it. and seniors and then i'm going to talk a little bit about teddy roosevelt i'm excited about that one who didn't like to be called teddy roosevelt because oh he, yeah didn't Okay, like the name teddy and then colleen's going to chat a little bit about a happy reunion with a cat from the ukraine that came all the way across the pond yes So we've already established that I'm a cat. Person. <laughs> Colleen was telling me last night that it, Chase was yeah. the blush, yeah, <laughs> which I think is adorable.
0: Um, my uh, cat <laughs> Ch- pushed my blush brush across the room. Well, I figured this out later because he came downstairs and had blush on his cheeks, and I was like, "Where is this come from?" And so he, I of course left my blush brush on the floor. It shouldn't be there, I'll admit. But he had pushed it with his nose all the way across the room, oh, underneath so something. And so, of course, then he got a little bit of yeah. blush on his cheeks. So, so.
1: rouge thief. <laughs> I had need to take make, a picture. I did. Oh, okay, we need to put that up on the website.
0: <laughs> it was so funny. So I love, I love cats. And I go to bed. I'm, I'm an early person. I think Teresa and I both go to bed mm-hmm. pretty early. And the other night, my husband came up, and he, he was, what are you looking at? And I was like, cats and kittens, because <laughs> <laughs> I was scrolling. And I was watching. Does he
1: even need to ask? <laughs> I know.
0: So my husband actually, just to premise that, my husband sent me this cat story from Upworthy. And I just loved how so many people really went out of their way to help this pet and this little girl. Just a, a thought. In this story, there's a lot of names, so I'm mm-hmm. going to try to... Pronounce them correctly. Pronounce them correctly and help people figure out how this story goes because there were so many people helping this family. So So, for the the tree here, okay, I'll try not to. So this is about ten-year-old Agnessa and her family. They had to flee their hometown of Odessa, which is in Ukraine, Mm -hmm. when Russian forces swept across the border into Ukraine. The family left just about everything behind, Mm. including Agnessa's cat, Arsini. Oh my gosh! I know. There was just no room, the mother said. So, the mother's name is Maria. Mm-hmm. So, she just said, there's just no room. After spending a few weeks in Romania, the family was allowed to enter the United States, and they were on their way to San Francisco, and they made an acquaintance with Dee, a flight attendant, hmm. who would ultimately launch efforts to reunite Agnesa with her furry friend.
1: I love Dee already. I do too. <laughs> <laughs>
0: So after the family had settled, D, the flight attendant, reached out to the family to see how they were doing. Mm-hmm. She said, "I just couldn't, I just couldn't stop thinking about them, and and oh, I don't know if so, they had exchanged numbers on the yeah. plane or something like that, but above yeah, and beyond, I know, I, I just love, love the, to just hear that, that already. Mind. Me too, inspiring. So Maria, which is Agnessa's mom, she said everything is actually really going good, but my youngest daughter wants to go home. She cries every day because she's missing her cat." I would <laughs> when we leave for a week <laughs> i really miss my cat <laughs> and she said she misses sleeping with her cat and she misses hugging him and she missed everything about the cat because she has grown up with him
1: he's been around that yeah. whole 10 years that and there's a reason that animals are therapy pets yes you know. yes but don't get my husband no. started on that for me <laughs> so d
0: the flight attendant Shared this story with another flight attendant, Caroline, and the reason that she shared this with her is because she's an animal rescuer. Mm. She kind of does that on the side, mm-hmm. and so she said, "Hey, is there any? I know this is a really big request, but is there anything we can do?" And so Caroline had another friend that was even more a pet rescuer, and it's funny because Caroline said, "You know, I can almost do anything, but getting a cat out of the Ukraine <laughs> just seems a big ask." Yeah, and she yeah. also said, "I felt like." Once the cat got out of Ukraine, we could do it, no problem. It was just that first step Mm -hmm. of getting out of Ukraine. So she actually started working with a rescue plan. She started working on a rescue plan from her home in Hawaii. And she got in touch with, like I said, another animal rescuer named Angelica, who lived in Houston. And at this time, Agnesa, the child's Mm -hmm. uncle, was actually... The cat was living with him. Okay. And so that's who they went to, first of all, to try and get this. So cat he was out still Ukraine. in Ukraine. Yep. Okay. Yep. The uncle has the cat mm-hmm. in Ukraine. And he actually took the cat on a motorcycle. Oh my gosh. <laughs> to the Ukrainian border to Moldova. Mm-hmm. He passed the feline to a driver who took him to a refugee family in Romania. And she spent a month with a family. In Bucharest, while the rest of the rescue plan fell into place. At this point, they actually finally told the little girl that, hey, your cat's on the way.
1: Yeah, Yeah, are coming.
0: And the mom said, you know, I can't promise that it can happen. But she says her daughter was happy and says, quote, he will come. He will definitely come. Just believe. (laughs) I just thought that was so With everything
1: that they've been through. I mean. Right. Yeah. Right. Then another... (laughs) rescuer,
0: Mini, who was on vacation in Greece, cut her trip short to pick up Arsini in Bucharest and bring him home. However, this is so funny, his Ukrainian documents (gasps) wouldn't allow Arsini (laughs) on a flight from Romania.
1: This just cracks
0: me up. So they actually, at that point, got a tuk-tuk driver. Do you know what that is? I had to look it up. Okay. So, a tuk-tuk driver, it almost looks like a rickshaw. It's its mm-hmm. not really, but it looks like a very little, small VW bus, It's, but it's oh, little. okay. And it has one wheat tire in the front, two in the back, and it's open on mm-hmm. the sides. There's just this little driver.
1: Kind of like what the Portland so, company has their yeah, stuff
0: Yeah, it's just this little. So, because he couldn't get on a flight, this tuk-tuk driver volunteered to help.
1: See, this is all making me cry. <laughs> You're going to hear me sniffing in
0: a second. I just love this. Also, this has got to be a really good cat because cats don't
1: love everybody. Yeah. Oh, I know. And so I just thought, what a sweet cat. He must have a sense that he's going home or, you know, yes. he's going to his family. Yeah. So then his, the
0: cat got to Athens. Followed by Montreal and then Kate's home in Seattle. She was one okay. of the rescuers from the beginning before he was reignited with Agnesa at San Francisco International Airport late last month. Oh,
1: that's such a great story. Yep.
0: Agnesa's mom said the following, when Arsini is with us, it's like home is with us. Like part of our home is with us. I just thought that was really, really good. Good ending. And I just all loved how all, right. all the people... It came together. Like, it wasn't just it, one person. Yeah. It was basically five different people a team. that helped get this little 10-year-old yeah. cat
1: to the daughter. A huge undertaking. Yeah. yeah. Loved it. Awesome. So, I told Colleen in September, Craig and I, planning on going to Yosemite yes. National Park in California to meet up with some friends and do some hiking. I bought a, um <laughs> <it's> totally <laughs> dorky, a National Park map because i want to start checking off stickers on or whatever yeah i'm gonna do little you know pins in there i might have to do that too that sounds fun yeah we can have a little friendly competition (laughs) or or do it together yosemite for those who are not familiar with it is a huge national park with 759,620 acres it has mountains, dramatic cliffs. It sounds like I've been there with this, but this is the description. That's awesome. Waterfalls, giant giant sequoia groves, lakes, meadows, glaciers, and tons of different animals. It's the largest unfragmented natural area in the Sierra Nevada mountain range. It's also one of the oldest protected environmental areas in the United States, first protected by Abraham Lincoln oh, wow. in 1864, which is... It's been around a while. Yeah. Um, and I've been checking out all sorts of books, looking up about Yosemite and the hikes there, and it's just beautiful. I'm really excited to spend you know, time exploring. Yes. We're already planning out the hikes. Thinking about Yosemite and how we as Americans are so lucky to have this amazing system of protected state and national parks got me curious about President Theodore Roosevelt, our 26th president of the United States, who is credited with prioritizing conservation, establishing national parks and forests, and establishing monuments to protect the country's natural resources. I'm going to talk a bit about his life and his presidency because, honestly, he's one of our most interesting presidents, in my opinion. Right. Right. But I'm going to focus... Colleen already had to hear this in the car yesterday. (laughs) That's okay. But but, um, I'm going to focus mainly on his development of our national park system and his protection of the environment, which in early 1900s wasn't something people thought much about. No. They just thought natural resources were going to be around forever. Right. Continuing, never-ending. Yeah. yeah. So Theodore Roosevelt Jr., often known as Teddy Roosevelt, although he liked to be just called TR. Oh, okay. um, When he was president. He didn't like the name. He was born in 1858 in New York City. He was the second of four children. And his father, Theodore Roosevelt Sr., was a businessman who had a company that imported plate glass. Oh. So they would import it and then sell it in the States. Or windows or what have you. Okay. So they were very well off. His mother, Martha, was a socialite and a true Southern belle type who some believe was the inspiration for Scarlett O'Hara in Gone with the Wind. I love Scarlett aware <laughs> So, it was thought of as somewhat w- a weird marriage mm. because Theodore Sr. was a staunch supporter of the Union during the Civil War, and Martha's family fought on the side of the Confederacy. So, Teddy's parents were very well off and known to be philanthropists, donating significant amounts um, to create homes for orphaned children, funding museums of art, and natural history, and creating the New York Children's Orthopedic Hospital. That is really neat. So great people. And probably very much needed. Absolutely. Wow. Teddy would later say of his father, My father, Theodore Roosevelt, was the best man I ever knew. He combined strength and courage with gentleness, tenderness, and great unselfishness. He would not tolerate in us children selfishness or cruelty, idleness cowardice or untruthfulness, he adored his parents. I love that. Yeah, he he so admired his parents. He was born just before the U.S. Civil War, which started in 1861 and ended in 1865. When he was six, he watched the funeral procession for Abraham Lincoln following Lincoln's assassination. There's actually a picture of him up in the window of his grandfather's mansion watching them... Because they did, they actually did, f-
0: they kind of took his body around from what I remember, like on a train, to different cities yeah. to kind of let everybody pay yeah. homage yeah. to him, which seems strange now. Yeah.
1: But I but guess we time, didn't have TVs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's amazing that they have this picture. This you know, is their way of that showing shows them. Yeah. love and respect. Appreciation. Yeah, Appreciation, yeah. So despite the affluence of his family, his early childhood was not easy. He had poor health, including severe asthma. His dad would take him out and, and try to, you know, get him to work it off type of thing, sure. toughen him up. But um, They didn't know then. <laughs> no, they didn't. He would sometimes wake up in the middle of the night unable to breathe, which oh. he described as feeling like, you know, he was being yes. smothered. Oh, that's so scary. Very scary feeling. Yeah. Doctors were never able to figure out what triggered his asthma attacks, despite being somewhat sickly. He was energetic and described as being mischievously inquisitive. (laughs) So he was also very interested in the natural world. His interest in animals, or at the very least the way he studied animals, would now be kind of considered, you know, give off like a serial killer vibe. Right. We might hear him on one of our True Crime right. <laughs> podcasts. But in the late 1860s, when hunting animals for food and sport was far more common, it was more normal, but still a little bit on the, you know, yes. on the creepy side. When he was seven, he found a dead seal at a local market and somehow obtained the seal's head. He and two cousins used the head and rudimentary taxidermy skills to create the Roosevelt Museum of Natural History. They, like, did did taxidermy to, like, birds and owls and stuff. So he and his cousins would stuff animals they found or killed hunting as displays in their museum. I don't know where they kept this museum but I can't imagine this being something anyone would want in their house.
0: I can't imagine his Southern belle <laughs> like mother. Can you imagine? Well, uh, no.
1: By age nine, he was studying insects and recording his observations in a journal he kept called "The Natural History of Insects." So, some say that his first book was when he was nine. Wow. He wrote. He wrote a ton. His childhood shaped his view of the world. His family toured Europe. Now, mind you, he had to cross the Atlantic on a ship, and he got seasick. He, you know, he's a sick kid. I can relate. Um, <laughs> I don't want to do that. No, I get it. He visited Egypt. They hiked the Alps. When he was climbing in the Alps, he has asthma. I mean, oh my gosh! That's so right. this was difficult for this guy. Mm-hmm. And on top of their trip to the Alps, he also had all sorts of stomach issues. So he really had to just. I don't want to say toughen up, but he had to endure a lot of discomfort. He didn't have an discomfort. inhaler. No, he didn't. Right. Um, Teddy found that when he was exerting himself outdoors, his asthma didn't bother him nearly as much. Mm. And he was proud that he could keep pace with his father when they hiked together. He started pushing himself physically and came up with an exercise regimen for him, which helped him overcome his asthma. Which I is Which I get excited about. That he did it naturally. Yes. Um, in fact, Teddy was always pushing himself to come up with solutions for problems. On a camping trip, he was roughed up by two older boys, so he decided to learn how to box, <laughs> something he would continue into his adult life. Teddy was homeschooled, mostly by tutors, but also by his parents. He was strongly educated in geography, history, and biology. He, like myself, struggled with math. I was... At least I have that in common. That was probably my least favorite. Yeah, it's just not my strong point. But he was a bright student, and he was admitted into Harvard in 1876. His father gave him this advice, which I think is good advice for any college student. Take care of your morals first, your health next, and finally your studies. At Harvard, he did well in science, philosophy, and rhetoric classes, but had trouble in Latin and Greek, which I guess at the time, they still were required courses which i would never graduate from. latin is not easy no it didn't hurt that he had a near photographic memory and read anything he could get his hands on he was also on the rowing team and like i said he was boxing he boxed during college he taught sunday school at the christ church in cambridge massachusetts teddy was raised presbyterian and with the episcopal christ church When they said that he needed to convert to Episcopalian to continue teaching Sunday school, Teddy declined. And he instead (laughs) began teaching mission classes in a poor section of Cambridge, which already right there. I love this man. I do too. I mean, he's, yeah. So halfway through college, his father died unexpectedly Mm -hmm. and Teddy gave up on his earlier plans of studying natural science and decided to move back to his family home and attend Columbia Law School. While he did well in law school, he found that law was irrational on top of it going to law school. He was bored. He just didn't like it. And while he was going to law school, he wrote a book on the importance of the Navy in the War of 1812. Like I said, this guy was just constantly reading, constantly writing. Right. At Uh, a time with no Google. Yeah. Just an intellect. He remembered it. Yes. It was during law school that he decided to enter politics. His father was a lifelong member of the Republican Party and... Yeah, you have to remember that for people that don't live in the United States, the Republican Party at the time of Lincoln up through the 1950s in America was the more progressive party and the Democrats were the more conservative side. That switched in the 1950s and it's still super confusing to me. Yes, it is. Too- he started attending public meetings for the local Republican Association and he became an assemblyman in New York. At that time, he dropped out of law school and never finished with his degree so in 1890 he married socialite Alice Hathaway Lee in 1884 Alice and Teddy had their daughter named also they named Alice however tragically two days later his wife died of an undiagnosed kidney failure they called it uh Bright's disease wow when I looked that up it's like it it's an old term for it can encompass all sorts of things. Like there can be toxins in your kidneys; they can just have some sort of infection. But anyway, she obviously had some kidney failure, and the pregnancy had oh, kind I'm of, sure. um, and maybe just the trauma of yeah, giving birth. All and, of it. Yep. The pregnancy had masked the symptoms. Sure. They thought it was related to the pregnancy. Well, but, and the baby can be kicking your. Kidneys. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <I mean. laughs> no, just um, So she sadly died, and on the same day, his mother died. Of typhoid fever. So Alice was 22. His mom was only 49. And oh the days that they both died, February 14th, 1884. So can you imagine? I can't. Valentine's Day would forever be ruined. It would be ruined. Yeah. Actually, did they have Valentine's Day then? I think that was before Valentine's Day. Mm. I have to look that up for a future podcast. Or someone should reach out to us and let us know. Because we're not historians. (laughs) No, we are not. So Teddy wrote in his journal for that day that his mom had died of typhoid fever and his wife had died of the kidney failure. The light has gone out in my life. Oh, my god. So obviously he was depressed, distraught by all of this. Teddy left his newly born daughter in the care of his sister and left her there for three years while he headed out out west. That really bothered me, but at the same time, you I know.
0: think that was more, though, also, I mean, think about this, too. She might have needed a wet nurse. Oh, yeah. They didn't yeah. have formula, probably, like we do today. And so dads weren't doing what they do now. Right. I think that was actually more common yeah. then, and she it's, wouldn't oh. need a wet nurse. <laughs> so, just, I know.
1: I can't like imagine. how could you leave that little baby? But yes. anyway, years later, when he wrote his autobiography, he didn't write about his wife dying. He had just shut off from that. Which shows how, how much that how painful it was for him. He threw himself into his work, diving into a legislative investigation of corruption in New York City government. (laughs) He ended up exposing some pretty high level scandals and became pretty popular in New York and continued to rise through the ranks of New York politics. He got into national politics during the 1884 presidential election and ended up giving lots of speeches in support of Republican nominees. Following the 1884 election, Roosevelt took a break from politics and built a ranch in the Dakota Territory, which would later become North and South Dakota. Hmm. So there, Teddy learned the life of being a cowboy and working on a cattle ranch. And um, Picture how they treated him, because yes. was this guy was spectacles, <laughs> well, and he's rich. I was just going to say, he's kind
0: of considered a socialite yeah. himself. Yeah. I mean,
1: I didn't, uh, I'm mm-hmm. sure that's not what
0: they called men back then, but...
1: So his ranch hands often made fun of the contrast of how he dressed and rode like a cowboy, but talked like an overeducated city slicker. Yep. He wrote some books on frontier life and ranching. And the other thing that was funny with him being a cowboy, he always had a book in hand. You know, he always had a book that he was reading because they often said before breakfast he would read a book and then he'd read a book, you know, throughout the rest of the day. I mean, he just was an avid reader. Right. Um... He also successfully led efforts to organize cattle ranchers to address issues of overgrazing by cattle, one of his first forays into environmental issues. He worked on conservation plans to protect large game animals. Hmm. And while this is more of an issue to protect stocks from overhunting, it was also some of the first efforts at creating laws to protect wildlife. Three years later, a particularly brutal winter would wipe out his cattle and end his ranch life. He returned to New York but never was seen again as just an intellectual because now he was this, you know, he had cowboy. been a successful yeah, yeah. cowboy. Right. So Teddy also remarried, marrying his childhood friend, Edith Carroll. Teddy and Edith would have five children together, Ted the Third, Kermit, <laughs> Ethel, Archibald, and Quentin. They also had Alice from Teddy's first marriage, who often clashed with her new stepmother, Edith. I did check out a long time ago. I need to check it out again. There's a book on Alice in the White House. Oh, interesting. Teddy continued to write books about his frontier adventures, which helped him escape the image of a political elite. He became the police commissioner for New York (laughs) City and worked to reform the police department, including physical conditioning and eliminating corruption. Teddy would even walk beats that his officers had to walk at night and early mornings to make sure his officers were doing their jobs. Like I said before, he dressed in disguise. (laughs) One night he caught like six people. Like one was flirting with a girl. one that Like they were not doing their job. Right. So they were in trouble (laughs) because... He didn't fire them, but they, they it's were like a secret shopper. Yes, he was. He was out on the streets, but his enforcement of the law, even in regard to the rich and powerful, earned him significant criticism in the form of insults, caricatures, and lampoons in various newspapers. Apparently, a lot of times they drew him with big teeth because he oh, must goodness. have had big teeth. I did. I looked. I kept looking. I didn't really think he did, but. Anyway, instead of getting upset, he enjoyed them and noted he must be doing something right if the rich and powerful That's were right. mad at him. Somebody's talking about yes. you. Yes. So I you must I, be doing something. Once again, another thing I admire about him. So, President McKinley appointed Teddy as the Assistant Secretary of the Navy in 1897, even though Teddy had never served in the Navy. But Roosevelt was well-studied in naval history and knew the importance of the Navy to America's security. he
0: had written that book.
1: (laughs) And he read all sorts of (laughs) books. He helped build up the country's naval forces, particularly increasing the number of battleships. It was during this time that the Spanish-American War broke out. Starting in 1898, the Spanish-American War was largely fought about the independence for Cuba and the Philippines. The U.S. was drawn into conflict when a U.S. warship, the U.S. Maine, was destroyed in Manila Bay, largely thought to be by Spanish forces. Hmm. Apparently, it was not the case. When the war started, Roosevelt resigned as assistant secretary of the Navy and formed the first U.S. volunteer cavalry regiment. Edith, his wife- was not happy about this, but Teddy wasn't going to sit this war out. Teddy's volunteer cavalry gained volunteers from all over the country and was referred to in the press as the Rough Riders. Oh, I've heard that term before. Okay. I was talking about this this morning in class. Someone's like, oh yeah, I remember that too. And they also talked about, da, 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 da. apparently National Geographic must have done a series on Teddy Roosevelt. I tried oh. to find it quickly today, but I couldn't. So yeah. People need to check that out if they're, if they're looking for more Teddy Roosevelt stuff. Right. So this group was comprised of Ivy Leaguers, professional athletes, cowboys, Native Americans, hunters, former soldiers, tradesmen, and whoever else wanted to join. Love that right there. I know. Teddy helped train them using his experience from the ranch, and the Rough Riders were brought to Cuba <laughs> by ship. Teddy was made a colonel despite, you know, he was never in the military. Right. Never served in the military. At first, he was involved in only small skirmishes, but then he led his troops in a charge up Kettle Hill. Now, what's interesting in this battle is that Roosevelt was the only one with a horse, despite this being a cavalry unit. Hmm. He and his men went up to the hill to capture a Spanish position, and Teddy had to abandon his horse when it got tangled in barbed wire. Oh. They captured the Spanish position, but 200 soldiers were killed and more than 1,000 were wounded. This was one of Teddy's most proud moments And he often went by the colonel, even after the war. When he got back to New York as a war hero, he was elected governor. During this time, he learned more about politics and economics. He studied corporate monopolies, labor relations, and environmental conservation. He wanted transparency and did two press conferences each day. Oh my goodness. That's a ton. That is. He promoted civil service and tamped down on corporate greed. He always tried to look out for the less fortunate members of society, as he had been taught by his father, which... Right. Very admirable. Yes. In 1899, President McKinley's vice president, Garrett Hobart died from a heart attack, and Roosevelt accepted an offer to fill the vice president spot. In 1901, he became vice president of the United States. Teddy found the job, surprising, to be boring. (laughs) <laughs> like, I, I he, they didn't trust him with a lot, so they would send him in the other room and they would make the decisions and he was just kind of the figurehead. Yeah, we need a vice president, yes. so therefore... Yes. You don't get to make any decisions. You don't get to really say anything. Yeah, exactly. Well, like I said, as vice president, he had very little power and not much in the way of duties. Six months later, though, that would change when President McKinley was assassinated by an anarchist, and on September 14th, 1901, Theodore Roosevelt was sworn in as president of the United States. Weirdly, for the rest of his term, he had no vice president, as there was no mechanism in the Constitution to appoint a new vice president at the time. So,
0: yeah, and I'm wondering, in January, was was he that close to the new? Was he? did get reelected, right? So but that would be he that close to the reelections at that point?
1: No, so oh, okay. it still would be like a few years before. Oh, okay. This okay. was 1901, and I think it was. Yeah, nineteen oh four, where they oh, had another auction. Okay, because so, I thought, oh, if it's only September yeah, to November or whatever, yeah. why bother? Just, but
0: three years, I'm um, surprised by that. It
1: wouldn't get fixed apparently until nineteen sixty seven. Oh, where they the, said you had to have a vice president with the twenty fifth amendment,
0: right? I mean, and, and I guess too, you could have Secretary of State or somebody like that. Fill as in long if as it's all, something you know, we, we
1: know what's going to happen. Yes, yeah. There needs and to be they, a plan. There needs to be a plan. I, I don't know if there was a plan then. Yeah. Hmm, interesting. I don't either. Interesting. So now Teddy Roosevelt was president from 1901 through 1909, having won the reelection in 1904. Right. I could go on forever about his presidency because there's just, it. there's so much. Can't, you can't even touch on it, but right. um, do any more than just touch the surface. But um, I'm going to go briefly hit some of his highlights. He took up a lot of issues to help the average American and tried to stay away from special interests, I love that because he was born into privilege. Right. I and mean, he could have just
0: We kinda you know, talked about that last night too, yeah. where we just wish that the right thing was done.
1: Yeah. Rather <laughs> than there having to be groups to fight for it. You know, or, just do the right thing. Right, do the right thing. I know. I love that. Um he helped regulate the cost of railroads to lower costs for consumers. He went after companies that controlled too much of the market with the Sherman Antitrust Act, which mm. is still used today to yes, keep companies from getting a monopoly on the market and gouging customers. He rooted out corruption in federal agencies and had his Department of Justice prosecute politicians who took bribes or committed fraud. Some things never change. Right. So, you know, it's oh like, he, well, and everywhere he went, it seems like he rooted those yeah, people out. Yeah. Really? Which we mean, need more right. TRs today. Right. right. Um, he put regulations on meat packing to protect consumers from poor sanitation and the use of harmful chem- harmful chemicals. Once again, wow. we still have this problem we today. We still have this
0: problem today. Huge
1: chemical problem. Yep. He uh, strengthened ties with Great Britain and Japan. He negotiated the construction of the Panama Canal, which helped the United States militarily and economically. He attacked companies that abused workers or consumers by predatory wealth practices. That's air quotes. Mm -hmm. But like I said before, what Teddy may most be remembered for is his push to conserve nature. Obviously, Teddy had been a nature lover from an early age, like I said. However, in 1903, he toured Yosemite with a naturalist, John Muir, for three days. It inspired him to protect America's incredible natural wonders. Roosevelt strengthened the power of the Secretary of the Interior and the United States Forest Service. In 1906, he signed the 1906 Antiquities Act, which was the first U.S. law to provide general protection of cultural and natural resources of federal lands. It created five national parks, 18 U.S. national monuments, 51 bird preserves, (laughs) four game preserves, and 150 national forests. Wow. This law protected 230 million acres of federal land from development or stripping of natural resources. Among the national parks that Roosevelt created was the Grand Canyon. Right. You were saying it was beautiful. And Crater Lake, which is here in Oregon. Yes. And gorgeous. The other three he created were Wind Cave in South Dakota, hmm. Sully's Hill in North Dakota. You been there? No. no. Mesa Verde in Colorado, and Platte in Oklahoma, which was later folded into Chickasaw National Recreation Area. So this law is still being used today by presidents to set aside land for historic or natural preservation. President Obama, however, is the only president that beat Teddy's record of 18 protected sites, which that was a ton back then. That seems like a lot. Yeah. Um, By naming 26 places as protected federal lands under the Antiquities Act. President Biden used the Antiquities Act just this year to create the Aviquani National Monument protect lands sacred to indigenous tribes uh, in Nevada and the Castor Range National Monument in El Paso, Texas. Both of these lands have great historical value to our Native Americans, as well as anthropological value as lands were inhabited dating back like 10,000 years. So Roosevelt also used executive orders extensively to protect forests and wildlife while president. By the end of his second term, As president, Roosevelt had protected more than 150 million acres of federal land through executive orders. I picture him doing that as just, like, in haste. You know, I'm sure (laughs) not, but it's a power thing. And he was, in his mind, that was the right thing to do. So he signed executive orders to make it happen. It wasn't popular with some as it prevented access to mining, oil, timber, and cattle grazing on these protected lands. Teddy didn't care, though. Because he thought it was the right thing to do, right? And even when he was faced with legislation to prevent him from using executive orders to create more protected lands, he slipped twenty-one forest reserves in minutes before the legislation was passed. <laughs> so he is writing like <laughs> yes, a maniac. Yes, I don't think that he. <laughs> no. I think that's the right memory too. Um, So Roosevelt was quoted as saying, there's nothing so American as our national parks. The fundamental idea behind the parks is that the country belongs to the people. That is the process of making for the enrichment of the lives of all to use. Which is so true. It is. Which is why he was scribbling
0: those I 21 <laughs>
1: And so Teddy funny. didn't limit his efforts to just creating national parks and monuments. He openly talked about our duty as a country to be stewards of our natural resources for generations to come. Noting, I recognize the right and duty of this generation to develop and use the natural resources of our land, but I do not recognize the right to waste them or to rob, by wasteful use, the generations that come after us. Roosevelt was concerned about clean water which we talk a lot about (laughs) yes so he's concerned about making sure we had clean water he was concerned about over logging and over hunting which I so admire because he was such an avid hunter that is something he enjoyed so it wasn't that he was saying you can't hunt he just was saying let's make sure that we preserve our land so that we can I think also are you using it are you hunting for sport I mean that's always important to me too
0: like
1: he thought that the extermination of the American bison was one of the greatest acts mm-hmm. of human destruction in history. He wanted to educate people and the public about living in harmony with the environment rather than unregulated devastation to the natural world being committed by corporations trying to gather as many natural resources as possible for profit. Because like we said, there is an end to those natural resources. Yes. They don't just... They are not unlimited. Yes. Even after his presidency, Roosevelt traveled the world to learn more about his natural world. Unfortunately, that involved a lot of hunting of species, including big African game, such as lions and elephants. But it was a different time. It you really know, most was. of these big game kills by Roosevelt were donated to museums, like the Smithsonian and the American Natural History Museum, to be stuffed and put on display for educational purposes. Right. He collected and cataloged insects, wrote about his observation of animals, and cataloged plant life. Keep in mind that at this time, that's how naturalists studied and learned about animals. Yes, yes. Which often is hard for me to to grasp, but it's just how it was. Yep. You watched them alive, then you killed them to study them. Right. Much of our understanding today of the natural world is due to these more, you know, what I would consider barbaric tactics of older naturalists. Teddy traveled to Africa and the Amazon on trips sponsored by museums. And it was on one of these trips where he had a leg injury that became infected and Roosevelt contracted a tropical fever virus, which started him on declining health and eventually his death in 1919. Unfortunately, some of the creation of these national parks came with a steep cost. Lands that were determined to be federal lands were often the ancestral homes Of Native Americans. Right. The federal government was not always kind in preserving Native American tribes to move to different areas, and the reservation system created all kinds of new issues. It really did. It did, for the indigenous people. Prejudice against Native Americans was common, even with progressives like Roosevelt. Much of the land that was established as national parks or forests had previously been traditional homes of Native Americans. So, yeah. I still... A different lens back in the day, but yes. um, so many things to admire about this guy. Yes. Just a few random interesting things about him. After he was president, he was giving a speech in uh, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and a delusional shopkeeper who believed he was the ghost of William McKinley <laughs> wanted to kill him. Oh, no. Um, he shot Teddy from about seven feet away. The bullet lodged in Teddy's chest after passing through his steel eyeglass case. Oh, my goodness. And a folded 50-page sheet, the speech that he was giving. He was carrying it in his jacket pocket. Sure. So the crowd swarmed the shooter and probably would have lynched him if Teddy had not stood up and assured the crowd that he was fine and asked to leave the shooter unharmed. He went on to finish his speech. Oh, my goodness. And, I mean, the bullet was never removed. They couldn't, it was in a spot that they couldn't get to, but obviously he It was almost to, like he was wearing <laughs> that little bulletproof vest. <laughs> yes, know. Or um, the three musketeers and the little cross. <laughs> yeah, so, the right spot. That was really, really little, cool. Little, yeah. yeah. He won the Nobel Peace Prize. He was the first president to win one in 1906 for helping negotiate the end of the war between Japan and Russia. During his lifetime, he wrote 18 books, Jeez. including his autobiography. TR hated his first presidential portrait. He <laughs> thought he looked like a meowing cat. That's how he referred oh my gosh, to it. I want to see it, it now. <laughs> so they burned it. There, there are pictures. You can go look it up. Right. The Roosevelt kids also had a small zoo. Okay. I, th- I thought my mom was very understanding, but this included six dogs. A small bear named Jonathan Edwards. That's adorable. A lizard named Bill. <laughs> Guinea pigs named an Admiral Dewey, Dr. Johnson, Bishop Dwan, Fighting Bob Evans, and Father O'Grady. Maud the pig. Josiah the badger. A raccoon. Eli Yale the blue macaw. Baron Spreckle the hen. A one-legged rooster. A hyena. A barn owl. Peter the rabbit, an Clinton the pony, a garter snake named Emily Spinach, and it, it, yeah, the list goes yes. on. And apparently, President Roosevelt loved the animals just as much as his kids. One time, he was like watching over the guinea pigs <laughs> because his daughter didn't believe that they would be okay with anybody else other than her dad. Right? And he, you know, he's like, she yeah, in to Watch over the, the guinea pigs." Right? I got this. As governor of New York and later as president of the United States, Teddy would bring in different sparring partners to keep up his boxing. This ended when he got hit so hard in the head that he lost vision in his left eye. The public didn't find out about it until after he left the presidency. Um, He was a proponent of living a strenuous life. This meant you needed exercise and to push yourself. He regularly exercised, did boxing, hiking, tennis, rowing, polo, horseback riding. This I did not know. He would also skinny dip in the Potomac River in Washington D.C. Oh, that's great. Sometimes with other um, politicians. Oh. I I have no idea. If Are that's we accurate, so glad but, there's no
0: social media about oh that? Because yes. you know we
1: would have seen. Can pictures you imagine here. that happening now? Four politicians yes. naked yeah. at midnight. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he thought all servicemen should learn jujitsu. Ju- he must have made some feminists mad with this comment because two prominent feminists women wanted to prove that women could do jiu-jitsu and started taking classes these later developed into self-defense classes for women so i guess we have him to thank for yes we do he was against an early proposal to put in god we trust on u.s currency Mm. because he believed it would cheapen the sentiment to put it on coins or postage stamps It wouldn't be used until 1955 that In God We Trust got added to the U.S. currency and Under God part was put into the Pledge of Allegiance. Hmm. Um, He also wanted women to have the right to vote. I loved reading that. Yes, I do too. He promised the Square Deal during his presidency that focused on environmental conservation, control of corporations, and consumer protection. All common sense. I mean, it should be practical things. In 1902, a political cartoonist decided to lightheartedly make fun of Teddy Roosevelt for refusing to shoot a bear on a hunting trip. Teddy was the only one in the trip that had not shot a bear. So, feeling bad for him, one of his assistants somehow cornered a bear. I think the bear was not doing well. But anyway, cornered a bear, tied it to a tree so that Roosevelt could also get a bear. And Roosevelt thought that was extremely unsportsmanlike and refused Mm -hmm. to shoot the tied bear. Mm -hmm. Candy shop owner Morris Mitchum saw the cartoon, and with his wife, they started making stuffed bears. Mitchum got permission from Roosevelt to call them Teddy Bears. Oh, my and gosh. And they were so popular that the toy company was, that started, you know, they started to produce in mass quantities the bear, and it just stuck. Remember Robin Williams, playing Teddy Roosevelt, loved him in right. Night at the Museum. I didn't know this. He was the first president to invite a black man for dinner at the White House. He invited... I know you've laughed because it seems so silly, but right. it, it. they said that many African-Americans had been to the White House, but to invite a, a, an African-American to dinner was basically like saying... You would, up, yeah, know. you could court my daughter type of thing. That was Interesting. how... Invi- like, it, it meant we were equals. Yeah. Right. So he invited Booker T. Washington and had him for dinner. He went on a ship with Houdini to learn, oh. like, and learn some magic tricks. Sometimes I forget,
0: you know, that people... We're alive it. at the yes, same yes. Time.
1: <laughs> Well, and he, um, so Houdini must have known something about, you know, someplace he had been. And and so Teddy Roosevelt asked him, you know, if he really did know magic. And as we know, nowadays, Houdini really didn't believe in magic. They were just really good tricks. Right. And he said, I did my research. I did my homework. Um, Roosevelt was the first president to go on an airplane. He went on a four-minute flight in October of 1910 with one of the Wright brothers, and they thought he was crazy in this, you know, fabric and... I don't know if there was Secret Service then, but if there was. <laughs> I'm sure they were losing their ever-loving uh, yeah. minds. He also was the first to go on a submarine. And also, at that time, there might have not <laughs> been vice president.
0: Let me yes. just... I got to put all those notes
1: together. Well, but. the thing that's interesting about the submarine is that the press just thought how irresponsible it was. Right. They did not approve. He was one of four presidents memorialized on Mount Rushmore. Have you ever been there? I have not, and I want to go so bad. Me too. My parents have gone, and they thought it was great. So, obviously, he appears with George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, and Abraham Lincoln. In 1891, I had never heard of this, but President Benjamin Harrison had named Minnie Cox Postmaster General of Indianola, Mississippi. She was the first African American to hold the position. So, in 1892, she lost her job under Grover Cleveland, but she was reappointed in 1897. This is kind of like your the cat story where we need to mm-hmm. fill in the, uh-huh. a lot of, a lot of um, details here. So, when McKinley was back in office, she was reappointed in 1897, and there was a lot of white supremacy at the time, okay. and the town basically ordered her to resign. They gave her until January of 1903. So she feared for her life. She resigned. Of course. And Teddy Roosevelt refused to sign off on it, he would not allow her to resign. So instead, he halted all the mail service to Indianola to be stopped until she was allowed to be the postmaster general. Wow. Now, she was too, I mean, she was too frightened. You have to think, you know, put yourself in her shoes. And and who knows if she had a family and such. I mean, they moved. They moved. uh, I mean, they moved back later, but she did not, she was not a postmaster again. But still huge for him to do that. Right. Um, Really put his foot down. Yeah. Yeah. He ordered the attorney general to prosecute, you know, these white supremacists for making for making those Those threats. threats. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So this guy had some guts, for sure. This is at a time where you didn't do that. I love that he just was a person of action. He Mm -hmm. had strength, perseverance, he was always learning. I just think there's so much for us to admire with him could go on and on about Teddy Roosevelt because he was such an interesting guy. There are tons of books out there about him, including his own autobiography. And I'm really grateful for his foresight to preserve yes. our, our country's natural wonders for future generations. And I definitely plan to make great use of our national parks because I bought that map. But right. I was I'm going to do it. <laughs> and some monuments. So <laughs> a great guy for sure. Yes. In any moment of decision, the best thing you can do is the right thing. The next best thing is the wrong thing. And the worst thing you can do is nothing. Theodore Roosevelt. (music) Luke Fleurledge is a six-year-old boy in Missouri who's been volunteering for Alleluia Baskets for the last three years. Aww. It's a nonprofit. So he's three years old. I know. Old. He's a baby when he oh my started. Gosh. you got to look up the pictures of this little guy <laughs> at adorable. six already. He's, yeah, he's just <laughs> the cutest little thing. But All the Baskets is a non that makes Easter baskets for kids and, like I said, seniors who would otherwise have to go without. Founded by Karen Messler, she describes it as an organization that builds community and provides joy for those living at or below the poverty line. So Luke, like I said, started volunteering with his parents back in 2020. He quickly learned how to put together a basket and was doing <laughs> it by himself. Um, in 2022, the Fleurledge family had collected enough donations that multiple cars were filled with miscellaneous toys and gifts. Aww. But that wasn't enough. He told his parents that he wanted to do more. So his dad reached out to Messler. The woman who started the um, oh, okay. nonprofit, okay. and she met with Luke over a Rupert Float. They came up with a plan to collect more items. Isn't that adorable? I love it. So Messler, the woman who started this organization, provided Luke with a box truck, and he went to work. Telling everyone he knew, anyone he came in contact with about his project. I he...
0: just had like this little vision of him behind the wheel <laughs> six-year-old. No, he's, little just, truck. he's just he's just talking. He's talking
1: and lifting boxes. Um a friend of the family donated all of the proceeds from their seasonal pumpkin patch to this cause. Oh, wow. I mean the guys at six, just amazing. <laughs> On March twenty-seventh of two thousand twenty-three, this year, the box truck filled it was full of 12,221 items. Oh my god. It took 50 volunteers. They went to work filling the baskets. This little kindergartner is already thinking about next year. <laughs> I mean Easter just passed. Yeah. Um, he's planning a kid's trivia night and he wants all of the proceeds to go to Alleluia baskets. Right. So, Messler, Gosh. like I said, the woman um, who started this, said that Luke's heart is in the right place. He's caring and wants to do good for others. He's conscious of the mission to bring joy to others at Easter. So, I had to check out Alleluia Baskets, too, because yes. I just was curious. And it was started by Karen Messler in 2004. She was teaching fourth grade in the PSR. I tried to figure out what that was, but it said yeah. PSR at the All Saints Parish in St. Peter's. Hmm. Um once again, if you're Catholic and go to a Catholic school, send us a note, yeah, fill us in, PSR educate mean? us. Um, they were trying to come up with a service project and decided to provide baskets to donate to uh, the St. Vincent's DePaul Society. Okay. So those 12 kids collected so many items with that first year that they were um, short on baskets. So a parent had to run out and buy an additional <laughs> 13. Good problem to have. Yes, it is. The following year, so the next group of 8th graders, they made 50 baskets. The next year was 87. She said it just kept growing. Then in 2007, she was approached by a program in their parish called Shopping as Jesus Would. They oh gosh, collect and donate items to give out to the community. Right. Great. It sounds like a great organization in Absolutely. itself. So they they worked together. It expanded to 201 baskets. Students and some adults handed out shopping bags at Mass that had you know, a list of requested items. In right. Them. So she noted that it's continued to grow each year by at least 100. And you know, those kids are
0: like, How many do we do last year? We gotta beat <laughs> yeah, that last exactly. group. You Which isn't good, yes. You that's know a good
1: it. Yes. The eighth graders are like. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Originally, the baskets would go to three organizations in the community to, distri- to distribute, but that's increased to 10 plus. Well, wow. So Karen House is a Catholic worker community. They not only receive donations, but Messler brings her eighth graders there to volunteer too. So that's the Karen House is a, a cause close to her heart. The different parishes aid in a number of areas from unwed mothers to counseling centers, women's shelters, and just a number of underserviced groups. It's grown so much that she now has Outworld help. So besides just the church and besides the school. Right. Local. Yeah. Besides local. All over. Mm-hmm. One business donated 480 wooden toys, another 200 bubbles. That delivery truck was donated to bring oh baskets to, for the day for, right. to um, Wellston, or I'm assuming for the day. She also has what she calls Black Belt Parent Shoppers. <laughs> so they're out there getting the deals, stocking right. up on the clearance items, you know. After Easter sales and whatever for next year. She said her husband forces a smile when they drop the goodies (laughs) off at her house. (laughs) Because she stores them. Yes. One parent noted that Messler's spirit, quote, pushes us to think harder about how we can help others. And on their website, it says 43,000 smiles and counting. So I'm assuming that's 43,000 Yeah, I would think so too. Just simple. Uh Uh-huh. But... Amazing, Right. And this guy's a kindergartner. Right.
0: And so what do we
1: do if we'd like um, to help? Yeah. So alleluiabaskets.org. So A-L-L-E-L-U-I-A-B-A-S-K-E-T-S.org. Or they're on Twitter at mm-hmm. Alleluia Baskets. Um, and they're also on Instagram. Oh, good. Uh, we started following them, our page. So, yeah. Excellent. <laughs> There can be nothing in the world more beautiful than the Yosemite, the groves of the giant sequoias and redwoods, the canyon of the Colorado, the canyon of the Yellowstone, the Tetons, and our people should see to it that they are preserved for their children and their children's children forever, with their majestic beauty all unmarred. Theodore Roosevelt. We want to hear from you. Please email us your thoughts, story ideas, or just say hi at tangentialinspiration at gmail.com. Tell us about someone inspiring in your life and like or subscribe to our podcast. It helps us out and helps others find us. You can find more information
0: about us at our website, tangentialinspiration.com. Follow us on Instagram at tangentialinspirationpodcast or find us on Facebook. Have a great week.